turn to the book of Philippians. We're, we're going to get back there again. I did something strange for uh, sermon prep this, this time. I'm seemingly always doing something strange for sermon prep. Not out of the usual. But I, uh, I looked into one of my old journals from 1977. Anybody can remember the 70s? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I didn't have an afro, but um, I did have long hair, believe it or not. Now, I was scrolling through the pages and saying, well, who was this young man? Who was this guy? On one page, writing scripture, just pouring out his heart how good God is. The next page, life sucks. God is awful. <laughs> Who made this stuff up? You know, things just back and forth, pages to pages, you know, pages of, of just pouring out my heart to God and just loving on Him and just thanking Him for everything that He's doing in my life. And then pages to pages of like the greatest despair that ever, man has ever written about in his life. And I'm saying, wow, have I... Have I grown from that? Hopefully so. But what, why did you have me do this? And I'm going to tell you right after we pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you again that you love us so well, so desperately that you bring us into your presence. You call us into your presence. You desire for us to be here with you. And we're thankful that you're here with us. We're grateful that you are our Father, our Lord, our Messiah, our great King. Thank you for all the, the wonderful blessings and just the, the absolute mercy that you show towards us. We are so undeserving of mercy, but you, you're generous with it. And we are grateful for it. So for these next few moments, I pray that you would help us listen to your heart. And that we would be ready to receive every Marshall, uh, and every uh, part of, of, of what you want to feed us with this morning. That we would refuse nothing. And that we would uh, just kind of gorge ourselves on your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we, you know, we learned about contentment last week. Or maybe we're starting to learn about contentment. And that how contentment was the kind of contentment that Paul was talking about in the book of Philippians was this, this deep satisfaction that God is in control, despite the circumstances. So I'm reading this journal and I'm trying to, to kind of, okay, I'm reading this journal. How does this apply to what we're talking about, what we're trying to learn about contentment? And... And so I ask God, and you, how many know when you ask God a question that you're, you better be ready for the answer? Because God is, His answers are, are usually in the form of questions. But for me, just, he, did, he directly answered me when I asked him this question. I said, okay, Father, so what's the connection here? And he says, uh, sometimes you're lazy. I'm all, okay, sometimes I'm lazy. I'm almost afraid to ask the next question now. Maybe I should just back up and be quiet for a while. So sometimes I'm lazy. I'm wrestling. You know, you know, last week I think I mentioned that Philippians was, you know, one of my favorite books. I'm not so sure that's true anymore after this week because of the paces that God did 
in my heart and, and what he's still trying to stir up and trying to get me to understand. So, you know, sometimes you're lazy, okay? So I said, God, okay, what am I lazy about? He says, your contentment. And I, I, so I, <laughs> I, asked, I asked further. I said, I'll say, let me to style this, Father. <laughs> you know, what, what does this mean that I'm lazy about my contentment? He, and he started to unfold this picture and, and go on this little journey with me that, that looking in my own journals kind of, kind, of, kind of pointed out what my heart does sometimes to see if you can identify or resonate with this. I think so when we talk about contentment, the kind of contentment that Paul is talking about in the book of Philippians, I think we, we start to settle, settle in about the difficult stuff that, oh yeah, we need to learn how to be content through the hard times because, you know, they're rough and they're challenging. And, you know, so if we could just learn how to be content, how to have that deep satisfaction when, when things are blowing up all around us, you know, then, then we're really learning something. And it's, and it, it's just challenging to do, but, you know, that's what we gotta, that's what we gotta center on. And God took me down a, a whole different path. And he says, I don't think you're really content with me in the good times. And I'm saying, well, God, it's easy to be content when things are going well. When everything in my life is lining up perfectly with what I would expect my life to be. You know, you know I'm... Everything, health, finances, relationships, everything is just lining up perfectly. Every time I read the scriptures, the, the scriptures jump out at me and they mean something deep and revealing. And I feel so close to God. Well, it's easy to be content then. And he said, exactly. Because what happens to your heart after that? And so this is the little, a, a little bit further ex, exploration and transparency of my heart. So then maybe you guys don't do this, but this is what happens to me sometimes. Two things happen to me. Sometimes both. Things are going great. Prayers are being answered. I am walking in victory and freedom. And I am, I am almost strutting my stuff as a son of God. You know, I am just so excited to be his son. Everything is just great. And I am enjoying it and I'm rejoicing in God, being thankful. And then about a little bit into this season, I start to do one of these things. I start to go like this. I start to look over my shoulder. What am I looking for? I am looking for the other shoe to drop. Things are going so well, something bad is about to happen. I just know it. You know, this has been going too good. Something, something bad or negative is going to happen. So what my heart starts to do, it starts to prepare for the bad thing, you know, to, to protect it somehow. So I'm not that disappointed when it happens. Am I being content then? I'm not. I am trying to prepare myself for the circumstance to change. And my heart leaves the Father's presence. The other thing that happens to me sometimes when I'm in that season of where everything is great and I'm just walking with God and it just seems like, you know, everything is just about perfect as it can be. I start to think that I deserve this. In an unhealthy way. 
So I start to expect that everything from this point on should work exactly as it's working now when I'm in that season of everything that's going great. And then when it starts to, because we live in a fallen world and we get affected by, by, by sin and, and our own and the sins of others, we wade through it all the time and it's, things start to, to change for a season and all of a sudden uh, my heart starts to get bitter towards God. And I am, am I being content then? No. So God was showing me, he said, Jay, sometimes your heart is lazy. Because it, it, it's still too much based on the circumstance. Too much, it's too based on, on what is happening now. Even in the good times. So you need to learn how to be content in the good times. Not that I don't need to learn how to be content in the hard, the difficult times, but God was challenging me saying, you know, you don't, you're not, you're not seeing this correctly. Because there's far too often that you look over your shoulder waiting for something bad to happen and you distant your heart from me in order to prepare yourself so you're not disappointed in me. But you already are. Because you're not enjoying, you're not rejoicing where you are. See, rejoicing is not based on the circumstances, Paul says. It's based on Jesus. I have learned how to be content when I have a lot and when I have little, Paul is saying. And he's doing all this while chained to a guard. Now, I learned last week a little bit more, did a little bit more study. Paul actually was in handcuffs, iron handcuffs, and he was chained to a guard. But he was chained like this. And then there was a chain right here that would lead to a guard. So he was chained like this. Iron, iron, they were made out of iron. They were rough. They weren't smooth. These are not that comfortable, but I imagine that these are a whole lot more comfortable since they're toys as compared to what he was. And it, that was about the length of change. That's about the length of movement that he had between his hands. So imagine this is the range of movement that you have in your life for two years. And then that is further restricted by the size of the, the Roman centurion that is guarding you, who I imagine was quite large or... You know, uh, all historical reports that Paul was a, was a small man. He wasn't, he wasn't a big dude, but most Roman centurions were. And these were the elite guard. This was the imperial guard. They were the best of the best. And that's who they were guarding uh, Paul. Now, 24-7, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 year, days a year, Paul is chained to a certain guard. I am imagining that there's nothing that they, they don't know about each other at this point. Everything is exposed. There's nothing hidden. Everything about Paul's life right now is, is, is known. The way he talks... 
the way he thinks. Every body function is known, embarrassing as that might be. Every attitude, his temperament. I would imagine even his, even his way of thinking is sneaking out after, after being with someone for 24-7. You begin to you know how they think. Begin to understand their thought process. And I'm thinking, if I'm Paul and I'm, I'm waiting trial, I'm waiting to be, go before the emperor himself, before Nero, who's the emperor at this time, I'm waiting for an audience to go before the, that, that maybe, I, maybe I want to watch what I say. And maybe I want to watch what I do, or who I see, who I receive into my house, who I write to, because any and all that could be used against me. How do I know this? How do I? I would imagine that if I was Paul, if I was locked away for two years, that I may not want to give anything away that that could hurt my chances to be set free in front of the emperor. But Paul doesn't seem to care. Paul doesn't seem to care at all. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 1, 12 to 14, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all, to all the rest, <clears throat> and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is saying, my brothers, uh, I want you to know that what has happened to me, the reason why I'm locked up, is really to promote the gospel. And the guards, they're, they're really the captive audience here. And that my imprisonment, uh, the, the reason why I'm under house arrest, the reason why I have lost my, my freedom to leave this house is because of the gospel. And because of that, more and more people, are, my brothers and sisters, our fellow brothers and sisters are, are getting bolder and bolder to preach the gospel. Because I'm in chains. It doesn't sound like Paul is worried about what he's talking about, what he's sharing, what he's writing about. All he cares about is that he knows where he is supposed to be. And he just has changed to remind them. And he's content. He has a deep satisfaction that God is still in control, even though Paul is not. Don't get excited yet. Okay. Paul doesn't let his prison shackle his thankfulness, his prayers, his joy, his confidence, his faith, his purpose, and his witness. Because to me, Paul was the freest man I, I, I know in, that was in chains. Verse 18 says, what then? Only that, in, right now Paul is talking about people who were, um, there were some complaints, there were some people that were uh, Preaching the gospel, but they were doing it for their own glory, you know. And so he's, he's just basically saying, I don't really care. As long as the true gospel is being preached, I, I don't really care 
most of gospel speech. So he says this after that. He says, well, then in, in every way, whether in pretense and truth, Christ is proclaimed. And, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, that he won't do anything wrong to to shame the gospel, that with the full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And he makes this bold proclamation, for me to live is Christ and to die is to gain. What I love about this, Paul is saying, your prayers are effective. I know the Holy Spirit's going to deliver, but I'm going to leave the method of deliverance up to to the Holy Spirit. Up to God. I hope to walk out of this house a free man. There's, you can tell that there are attendants there, but he's saying, whether I walk out of here alive or I'm out of here, brought out of here dead, I'm going to gain Christ. I'm going to gain Christ. I can't lose. The Greek word for gain there means uh, to my advantage, but it also means to trade something for something else more valuable. He knew no matter what, he was going to gain Christ. If he stayed alive and walked out free, if he went out a dead man, he was still free because he was in Christ. Paul is saying that the power behind his contentment is this. If I have Christ, I have everything I need. If I have Christ, I have everything I need. I'm gaining Christ in all this. Yes, I'm in chains. Yes, I may not get out of here. I might go before the emperor and and never make it out of that audience alive. I know this, but I don't care because I gained Christ. I am, I am not the one in chains here. <laughs> Those who don't know the gospel are in chains. Amen. And I'm going to preach the gospel no matter what. Because I gained Christ. And then, Paul, in, in, in Philippians 4. <laughs> Philippians 4, he makes this great, great. It's a command. <laughs> Are you ready for this? This is great. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice in the Lord. Really? If he wrote, rejoice in the Lord often, how many of us could say we could do that? Right? I can rejoice in the Lord pretty often. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Well, I can even do that. Sometimes I, I do rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel really good about it. But rejoice in the Lord always? Is that even possible? Paul writes that in prison. With chains on, not knowing his fate yet. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And maybe we gotta we gotta take this verse apart a little bit and 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 see what it really is mean. Okay, so the word "rejoice" in Greek means this. Okay, to to, to be happy, to be glad, to be calmly happy. 
I'm not sure how you'd be calmly happy, okay? That even confuses me a bit, but, you know, it talks about a a kind of a satisfaction happy, you know, when you just kind of sit there and go, man, this is good. That kind of, that kind of feeling. So, okay, so I'm, I'm, I gotta be, I gotta be happy all the time? Is that what Paul's saying here? If you take the word rejoice, charis, and you break it apart to its root words, I think it'll help us understand this. Okay, so the root words means um, to I am favorably willing. Okay, that's the first part of the root word. I'm willing, and it also means grace. Okay, favorably, uh, favorably willing, which means uh, I'm volunteering for this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because there's favor extended to me. And that favor is grace, okay? So that it means a very complex thing. The second part of that word means to lean forward into. Okay, so listen to this. This is really what rejoicing really means. So when I rejoice, I delight in God's grace and I lean into it. When I rejoice, I delight in God's grace and I lean into it. We've all watched those, uh, you know, Weather Channel videos where those those crazy people go down when there's a hurricane and you know, and there's wind blowing and they and they go, all, every one of them goes out and steps into the wind from behind a corner to see if they can stand up and they're leaning into it, right, in order to kind of keep their. This is the picture, okay? We're leaning into God's grace and that His grace is holding us up, and there's favor in that, so we can rejoice. We rejoice because, because God's grace is holding us up and we can lean into it. We can own it. We make it our possession. We take hold of it. We're leaning into it. We're not, we're not running away from it. We're just, we're saying, you know what? I'm just going to lean into His grace because I know His grace is going to hold me. So I rejoice. That doesn't, I, I can lean into His grace always. Right? I can, I can lean into, I can own this always because the favor of God has enabled me to, to experience grace and to own it. So yeah, I can rejoice. Always. But really? Paul, did, did you really mean always? The word always is a particularly interesting word. It means every when. Now, everywhere, every when. So when I experience a challenging time, so when I experience a happy time, when I am struggling, when I am really, you know, hitting my stride and hitting it on all cylinders, every when, I can lean into His grace and stand. So yes, it is, it is a command, but it's greatly possible to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because it means that I'm going to lean into His grace, which enables me to. Someone go to chapter 4 and read verses 11 to 13 for me. Thank you. 
Paul says, I am not complaining about having too little. I have learned to be satisfied where and what and whenever I, it happens. My life happens. So there is an element in my heart that was lazy in being content during good times. Because I was already, I was, I was trying to prepare for something that wasn't even on the scene yet. But if I'm content in Christ, it doesn't matter what the scene is. See, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, whether I have an awful lot or an awful little. I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. I know what it means to be poor, and I do, and or what to have plenty. And I have lived under all kinds of conditions. Paul says, everywhere I've been, everything I've experienced, every challenging situation, every hard circumstances, I have learned that at all times, God, Christ gives me the strength to face anything. Okay, I want to add two scriptures. Now that... uh, that phrase, that scripture, that particular scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. It's not, you know, but there's two more I want to, that go right along with it, but I want to read them. First uh, Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always. It's the same word, same Greek words used. It, it, it's just perfect. You know, so this is a theme of Paul. You know, throughout all his prison letters, in prison, he's talking about rejoicing. It is a command, but it's also a decision we must make. Okay? And here's the other verse that I want to go alongside of it is because I want to explain something. John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible. We all know it. Jesus wept. So why do they go together? Why do they go there? Because rejoicing doesn't mean we deny our pain, our sadness, our grief. Because joy isn't an escape from pain. It's an investment in life from a different perspective. Okay. Did you get that? Okay. Joy is not an escape from pain. It's a reinvestment uh, in life with a different perspective. And here's our perspective, I believe. Uh, The joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. The the Hebrew word for strength is a fortified place, a defensive place. It also means a rock. So when we rejoice, when we lean into his grace, we lean into his favor, we lean into him, we have a rock to stand on. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God's joy is our strength. That's what it means, the joy of the Lord. It's the Lord's joy that is our strength. It's not my joy. If, it was, if my strength depended on my joy, I'd be a very weak person. And I love you to pieces, but if I depended on your joy, I also would be weak. No offense. Love you guys. You guys are the best. But if I was dependent on your joy, it wouldn't cut it. I know, depending on my joy, it wouldn't cut it. So I'm thankful that the God's joy is our strength, is the rock to stand on. So we can have a solid place to lean into his grace with. And so we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. 
The wonderful thing about that word rejoice also means it was also a greeting and also a way to say goodbye to someone. It would mean go, rejoice. So I say to you, you know, go, lean into God's grace today. Don't hold anything back. Just lean into it. You have the favor of God resting on you. I have the favor of God resting on me. So, yeah. I am a prisoner of Christ, but I don't have to be captive to anything else. I can be a free man. Colossians 4.2 says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That word thanksgiving again means grateful language of worship. So, I hope... Does it make sense today? I mean, does, you know, any questions, any comments? You know... I really do believe that God is challenging our hearts to a, a deeper level of contentment, but it's not absent of understanding that He knows that we have fears and doubts and pains and sorrows, and He's not telling us to, you know, to suck it up and be good Christian little boys and girls. Contentment has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with performance. It has everything to do with faith. And who we trust. See, that's how we can be content, no matter what the circumstance is. And we don't have to prepare our hearts to be disappointed. What a fruitless exercise. Because we're going to be disappointed. This is life. We're going to get disappointed. There are going to be things that disappoint us. There are going to be people that disappoint us. There's going to be times where we get disappointed with God. I have. But we are learning how to be content. So that we're, our contentment is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ because He's our life and not on the circumstances around us. So it doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. My heart is already prepared for it because it stays on Him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with singing. Whew. Man. I don't know about you, but the thought of God singing over me changes the way I feel about a lot of things.